You know I can't count that high. I was infantry for a reason, dang it. 42. Um, Isn't that the one you told me is just like 24, but backwards? Exactly. Just like that. Hey, are you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans? It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. We are the podcast that puts the fun in dysfunction. So without further ado, we're going to let our guest, Mr. Michael Gallagher, introduce himself to our listeners and viewers. Uh, hey, uh, hey, how you doing? My name is uh, Mike Gallagher. I am a uh, uh, graphic designer by trade. I um, just released my debut novel, Body and Blood, on Amazon. I've also uh, contributed um, short stories to Kursova and a couple of anthologies and um, write reviews over at Upstream Reviews with Declan Finn and uh, Rob Crows. Get with me offline because we are planning an episode about the importance of book reviews, so we'll have to have you back. Absolutely. That is one that's sometimes difficult. Doc is just enjoying her hot chocolate. I'm guessing it's hot chocolate today. Sure. It's hot chocolate. <laughs> we'll go with that. So, uh, so yeah, we'll, ta- we'll have to have you back for that. We're going to pretend we're family friendly, Doc. So the next one. It, it is family friendly. I just really, I sparkling water, black cherry water. With Tequila soaked marshmallows. Actual black cherries in it. <laughs> Wait, that's a thing? <laughs> Tell me more. Um, so the next part of the introduction, dear listener, is how we found them. So this is another one from the great and mighty Oracle that is Declan Finn, Podcast Sherpa. Yeah. So he sent us a bunch of people when we were in a pinch. He's the Podcast Sherpa. It's his new title. He's got to get it added to his business card. He's going to run out of room. Um, I, I give him new titles every time I talk about him because he thinks they're hilarious. And then he like tweets about our podcast and we get slowly more views. It works. I'll take hey, it. Uh, that, that's it, man. Do what works. All right, Doc, are you ready? To, I know you're out of practice. You, you were busy slaying dragons down in Atlanta. Uh, they're all dead this year, so hopefully they don't resurrect like a phoenix. But, you know, they probably will, and they'll be back next year. But in the meantime, you get to ask him the religion question. Are you ready okay. for this? Okay. On to the importance of the religion. Star Wars, Star Trek, or Firefly? Of the three, uh, Star Wars if it's OT. Only OT. Now, wait. You mean like William Shatner OT? Did I say Star Trek or Star Wars? I meant Star Wars. Star Wars. Yeah. I think Sorry. you said Star Trek. Sorry, he yeah. Said OT, so we thought. And if I have to if I have to if I have to pick my Star Trek, I'm gonna go Shatner Star Trek as well. Oh, so you're just an OT man. I, I'm 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 a crotchety old uh old kid. No, you're just the OG. <laughs> I'm told. I'm told that's there, what we're calling them now, OGs. Right. I don't what know. You're saying, right? I'm All not right. that cool. So I'm, I'm, I think I can predict what his next answer is going to be, but Doc, ask him anyway. Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, or The Wheel of Time? Uh, They're old Lord in different of, ways. Lord of the Rings, um, Wheel of Time. I, I, so I, I've heard it's good. I heard that Sanderson did did great things with it. Um, I haven't even begun to get into it because it's just so huge. And uh, Game of Thrones is uh, awful. Now, when you say Game of Thrones is awful, do you mean the movies that are the TV series that had the horrible ending that yes. you know, Doc thinks that uh, George R. R. Martin <laughs> was just beta testing a bad idea? I'm uh, pretty certain that he was beta testing her endings. I, I, I would uh, do it. Did, didn't like the books because I didn't like the world because George R. R. Martin doesn't know what heroism is. Um, 
And, you know, the, the show, for what it was, I think was as faithful as it could be for as much as I they think, had written material to come off of. But I uh, think Martin knows what heroism is. I just don't think he believes in it. Sure. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I, um, I think it's kind of like I knew somebody who didn't want to have kids watch, like, Paw Patrol because, well, it's setting you up for thinking other people are going to rescue you. And it's like, they're kids. Leave them alone. Right. Like, this is fun and fantasy. He's, like, it doesn't need to be grim and evil. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the only way it doesn't prepare you to think to rescue yourself is if you identify with the victim. If you identify with the rescuers, it teaches you to help yourself and other people. See? Yes. They just well, got to change your mindset. Identifies a little bit. With That's it, yeah, yeah. Fair, so, fair. Um, yeah, it's Lord of the Rings. It's, it's enduring. It's a classic for a reason. All right. Okay. So... You know, we love both sci-fi and fantasy, but how do you feel? Which was your first love? My first love was fantasy. Um, and it uh, came from, you know, aside from um, stories and fairy tales and stuff like that, I remember seeing all those amazing ads and comics back in the 80s for D&D. Mm-hmm. And they came out one year with this great starter set. It was kind of like a board game. And I didn't know how to play D&D. I didn't know anything about it. But I begged my dad to buy me the starter box set. And he did. And it was kind of cool. It was, it was kind of like a solo thing. It had this packet with all these cards. And it was, it was more or less a choose-your-own-adventure thing. Where, like, if you do this, go to card with tab number this. And then you pull out that tab and you read what happened to your your adventure. And then it would say, you know, if you have high dexterity, go to this card. If you have high strength or, or roll this, go to another card. And they never did anything like that again, I don't think. No, they and, only did one of those. But I fell in love with it. I It was my introduction to, to, RP, to tabletop RPGs. And um, fantasy was, uh, was kind of my thing until a cousin of mine in the 90s introduced me to um, Mike Resnick. And okay. that... I fell in love with science fiction after that. So what was your first memory of, of engaging in speculative fiction? Was it the, the card game from Dungeons and Dragons or was it something before that? Um, that, that, that was really probably the one where I was really paying attention. Like I, I kind of like, cause like fantasy comics and stuff like that never really grabbed me. I wasn't into Conan or anything like that. Or, or, or it, I was, Spider-Man and Superman and all that stuff, um, which I suppose is a kind of fantasy in its own right, but not like, you know, the traditional medieval fantasy. Yeah. Um, and then it, it, it would be like the original uh, contemporary slash urban fantasy. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that one board game set that I got that Christmas was just, I would sit down and pour over all the, branching stories because you can it, it was like a choose your own adventure book you could go back to the start and play the adventure through again the dice rolls would would make you do different things and it was just i just steeped in this 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 dungeon this very generic dungeon that they there was a there was like a plastic foldable map you could splay out and it just the whole thing was just uh, to this day i will play a bad board game if it's got really amazing atmosphere and just really pulls you in, it just, that, that was the first time I ever really paid attention to just what it was and the aesthetic and what made it fantasy was that one game. 
you should try Lords of Waterdeep. It's a very good game, but they put in all the good production value like you're talking about. Okay. Like the good maps, good tokens, like Lords of Waterdeep. Mm -hmm. Awesome game. Thank you. And it's a D&D game. Fantastic. It's my favorite D&D board game, actually. Waterdeep is a storied location in the D&D universe. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll have to check it out. Thank you. <laughs> then, then the next Christmas, an interesting follow-up really quick. The next Christmas, I saw that awesome commercial for HeroQuest. And I said, Mom, Dad, you have to buy me HeroQuest. And I opened the box, and I looked at the pieces, and I closed the box. And <laughs> moved it off to the side, and I never opened it again. Oh, I hate it when that happens. I know. <laughs> I had no idea it was going to be that dense. It's okay. So we've talked about how you were introduced to the giant world of speculative fiction, but what is it about that space that you love so much? Um, it, it's, um, God, it, it's, it's so beautiful. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's familiar enough because it's tethered to medieval Europe, basically, uh, that, that you can sort of feel like, like it doesn't feel totally alien but at the same time, it, it's got rules, and yet because of the existence of magic, it's limitless. And um, there's this, uh, there's just this enduring beauty to it. And I think uh, the the very just knowing that you're in a place where there's could be very powerful and noble forces of good, and very powerful and ignoble forces of evil at work. And just um, the whole sort of ecosystem that it kind of creates, which is very different from something like, you know, another genre that I absolutely love, um, cyberpunk, uh, which is a very low contrast, though. Uh, you know, like even even the best people are not great, you know, <laughs> in a cyberpunk setting. So it's just it's it just it's so rich. And because it, it's it's sort of tethered to a past that we knew, it's there's a part of it that kind of feels like home, or at least familiar. Um, so it, it just draws me in that much more. Okay, that's a that's a thorough answer. I'll take it. So, <laughs> how did your love of speculative fiction as a genre, reading it, watching it, playing the games, transition into you deciding, you know, I've got a busy job, but I don't need sleep. I'm going to write my own story. Um, okay, so um, th this this is kind of an out of nowhere thing. Um, I I'd never really thought about writing. I only started writing um, very very recently. Uh, th this story seed particularly came to me when I was working a boring job at a Chinese restaurant years ago. I thought of I'd be in this dank basement peeling potatoes and chopping vegetables. And it's a very clean basement, I'll just have you know. It was amazingly clean for a basement. And I, I just, my mind would just have nothing to do but but wander and think of stuff. And a lot of times I, I would think of things like movie scenes and stories and just little snippets of, of, of stuff. And one of the things I came up with in uh, one night was basically the first 600 words of this book. This uh, priest waking up in the middle of the night uh, aroused by some sixth sense that he's in danger, but he doesn't know why. And um, so uh, that just kind of stayed in my mind for a very long time until about 2019, May of 2019. Uh, I was going through a rough time struggling with an extended period of, of uh, depression that I um, 
wasn't really talking to anybody about, I didn't really um, have a lot of outlets uh, for it. I didn't want to pursue any kind of a medical thing. Uh, but it was literally just like one day when I was just like standing in my driveway, staring at the ground. And it was this gloriously beautiful day, spring day. And I just literally, I said out loud, I said, God, help me. I don't know what to do here. And immediately after I said that, I was just overwhelmed by this compulsion of that story you thought of 10 years ago. You're going to write that now. You're going to do that right now. You're going to write the story now. And it, and it was such an immediate answer to the question that I just sort of proffered to the universe, if you will, that I, I could not help that very night, but open that, my laptop. And that was the beginning of the very beginning. Um, so this really kind of just came out of nowhere. It was therapeutic more than anything. And um, it, it was very much a, a, a ride from being a completely raw, untested writer to uh, now a, a, a mostly untested writer. <laughs> um, but uh, luckily it's been polished enough and um, some of my old newspaper chops, I did work at a newspaper, helped. That it was polished enough that it seems to be getting uh, a fair bit of good feedback from my peers anyway. That is a very thorough answer and we will take it. <laughs> I love how like, you oh, feel that, like there's a doubt. Like, oh, God, he's awfully quiet over there. <laughs> no, no, no. Elvis was probably barking, so he probably muted it. Okay. So, I do mute that when the doggo goes a little nuts. Um, I would say that definitely kind of answered 10, but were there where we normally ask, were there any formidable moments that shaped you as a storyteller? And the one that gets you sitting down and actually pulling it out of your head and onto a paper or at least a document is definitely. Definitely one, but were there any other story like moments that shaped who you are, the stories you tell, why you tell them? Um, well, I when this all happened, I'm I'm a, a I'm a cradle Catholic. Um, my dad dad raised me in the faith, and I had a very good relationship with him, and uh, he was very very much um, responsible for imparting that aspect of my personality and my beliefs and ultimately how I kind of view the world. Um, and I had my own sort of religious uh, journeys where I sort of had, had fallen away a little bit after his death and I came back with a whole new appreciation for the faith. And, um, but uh, at the time that I decided to write this story, I had recently become a father. I had a two-year-old at the time. And so you'll you'll notice if you ever read there, there's parts of this book, there's a recurring theme in almost all, all of my short stories of the um, sacredness of of um, of family. And especially if you guys ever if you go to my publisher's website, there's a short story on there I couldn't get published this year called King of the Jerks. If you ever read that, it will it will shine out like nothing else by the time you get to the ending. So that had kind of formed a whole new perspective of like what was really important in life to me more than anything else. And yeah. um yeah. yeah, kids will do that. And um I just um uh so so 
there, there's all these new facets to myself and my values and my personality that have formed fairly recently before I decided to start thinking I could write. Um, combined with, and maybe I should save this for later, uh, really kind of pushed me over the edge to say like, you know, I really can't make any excuse not to do this anymore was as I found out more about the self-publishing process, I discovered that I was basically able to do almost all of it without having to hire anybody out for it, which was Ooh. huge plus. <laughs> um, and, and that I can say for 10, because that's a whole other story if, you, if you'd like to go down that route. Um, but like I fatherhood, know. definitely like that, that, that sort of ossified and, uh, and the faith aspect and just, you know, I'm a smart ass and I like to inject things with humor too, no matter how dark they get. Anybody who puts up with Declan has to be a smart ass. Uh, yeah, so, I, so I've learned, so I learned very quickly. <laughs> oh. Yeah, definitely kids will, um, kids will do that to you a lot. I don't think that's that abnormal. I will imagine mm -hmm. that if you're looking at, you know, self-publishing at least uh, and you're a graphic designer, having the ability to make your own covers and actually make them look like, you know, decent, that's probably a right. huge plus. Because some <laughs> of the self-made covers, well. Uh, <coughs> and co good covers, they cost a pretty penny. But they, um, they do, yeah. And, it's, and also it's, it's tough. when you, the nice thing is when, if you go with a traditional publisher, they can, they know what are good covers. Mm. And because what makes a good cover for you, it's not necessarily a good cover for marketing. So exactly. Right. So, uh, but you have the, the professional eye to look at that, which is great. Um, but transitioning into fan things, this is, your first book. So how do you think you're going to react to your first autograph, your first cosplayer? I'm going to have a heart attack. I'm going to have a stroke. <laughs> um, gosh, if I, I'd, uh, I'd probably thank them more than they'd thank me. <laughs> um, if I reach that kind of uh, notoriety that anybody liked my work that much to do that i would just be uh, what could i be but supremely grateful you you could what you could do though is not have that heart attack we talked about because then you can't write and books instead, send us and no one's gonna get the follow-up book you know yeah no your uh -huh. fans will not like you because you will have fans by that point <laughs> i should i should write a will just to put in the will that if i have a heart attack before my next book's out Declan finn has to finish it I was gonna say you Brandon Sanderson. But Actually, I can't you, afford Brandon. <laughs> if you if you go to Stifwa, they have the a legacy packet on how to do all of that kind of stuff. Apparently, oh no kidding! Well, hey, Stifwa is actually uh, useful. Look at that. It can be. It's even free. Like your most useful stuff is free. Oh wow! I that that actually Where might check out. Thank you. Okay. In the past, they were not very. How shall we say? Friendly to indie authors. I'm not sure if that's changed or not. I don't think they can afford not to be now. I mean, have you seen how they've lowered their admission standards just in the last, last like couple of years? No, it, I haven't. It's, 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 it's virtually write us the check, and once your check clears, you're in. That's, that's well, you know, some people like to buy their friends. No, nope. look, all oh. right. Just because I joined a fraternity doesn't mean I bought my friends. <laughs> you know what? It's okay, Jr. 
we understand that that's how your mommy taught you to do it because she really had given up on the other methods. It's probably so, true. So let's move on and talk. Anyways, about now that we're I done was, with our hot shot for Jr. moment, um, can you give us the reader's digest of? Really, you left the reader's digest in there, Jr. I didn't know he, this was his only book when I did it, but he's got short stories. The so, other references that it's the only book. Okay. So can you give us, you do have some anthology. So can you give us a, um, a couple of your anthology titles, as well as the title of this book, your new firstborn book, baby. Uh, sure. Um, so this book is body and blood. Um, I'm working on another book that that's a stand. It's a standalone. I'm working on another book that's also standalone set in the same universe. Uh, Spinoff-ish. Uh, some of the main characters in in this book are going to be the 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 front and center main characters in the the next book. It's, it's called the Golden Scapular. Um, this in the winter issue of Crusoe, I've got a short story being published called The Nighthawk, cool. and uh, just just out actually. Um, Eric Postma, I don't know if you uh, uh, know Eric. Um, no, not familiar, but we can okay, always he's, he, people to interview. He's in the circles. He he uh, he got a bunch of us uh, together uh, for an anthology called Shoot the Devil that just came out. Oh, yeah, um, we're, we're working on getting some interviews for that one. Okay. That, that's that got some hu huge names in it. Uh, John C. Wright, Jaggy Lamplighter, Declan's in it. Um, Nate LaPointe, who I think you just interviewed a little while ago, right? Uh, he, he just came out with Gun Mages. He wrote Chalk. Uh, he's got a great Weird West story in there. Um, Dan Humphreys is in there. I'm like a man among gods in this lineup, seriously. But that just came out. I've got a short story in there. Um, and uh, Nate, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about this. Sorry, Nate. He's, uh, he's getting a fantasy anthology together with some pretty impressive names. Uh, that's kind of a TBA thing, but I'm just about wrapping up my first ever fantasy short story that will be running in that whenever it comes out. Sweet. Okay. So before yeah. before everyone blames me for, for Doc's uh, little insult to me, I want you to know when your computer dies and you're literally finished reformatting the new laptop 15 minutes before the interview – you prepare your notes 15 minutes before the interview. So the uh, due diligence, well, it was 15 minutes of hard, hard work. I, I'm, I'm, I'm impressed you got it all together, JR. Um, well, it is a little bit of a template. Family friendly so. is having your boy Yes, it, uh, and the, the format helps because we've <laughs> – what is this? Uh, this will be episode, like, I don't know, 190, I think, when it comes out, 195. Okay. And then we had okay. 185 on the other podcast. So we've got lots and lots of experience. Uh, um, yeah, you guys are coming up on 200. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. So, uh, while all of those, no, who uh, put up with JR for 200 episodes, you did, but I did send you boo. So that helps. It does. Um, that's the way to it's her heart. Is booze. Just it's, get her drunk. It's the gift that keeps on taking. That's right. <laughs> so <laughs> while, um, <laughs> while all of that sounded fascinating, obviously we're here to talk about, the body and blood. So, uh, and you mentioned the, the premise was just sort of always uh, knocking around in the back of your head. And you talked about how you were sort of inspired to write it down, but mm -hmm. where did the initial kernel of an idea come from? Um, Do you remember? It, it was just sort of, um, so, so I had, I had uh, been 
just kind of getting into the whole cyberpunk as a genre, I, 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 Neuromancer was the first cyberpunk novel I ever read. Still to this day, it's my favorite. Um, and so uh, having gotten kind of familiar with the, the sort of tropes that exist in that genre, that, that world, um, it's always kind of dark and dismal and rainy and everyone just exists in sort of shades of gray. And I just sort of thought like, like, okay, but like, even though somewhere in, in, in all the squalor and, and the social decay, there's still people going to church. There's still people doing good things in society and you never get to hear their, their stories. Um, so what if I just sort of wrote a story about like two priests and it's still going to have all, all the cyberpunk tropes. There's, you know, laser weaponry and uh, implants and, and, and all this stuff. Um, but, but, you know, show what the good guys are doing who, who are actually genuinely good guys not just like good because we say they're the protagonist in this you know um the the uh protagonist in neuromancer which i know i just said was like my favorite book and i can't think of the guy's name um case uh he's not good <laughs> uh you know he, he's um starts out he's on a self-destructive bender basically uh but but i just thought why, why don't we kind of go with that angle and tell those stories and um, see where it goes. And I, I pants the hell out of this over the course of 18 months. And yeah, thank God it seems to have led to a decent story. We will take it. And so before we go to commercial, we do like to talk about the cover. Now, did you design your own cover? Did you do the art? I designed everything. So what's the story for this art? I mean, because... I do like it. it. Has that sort of classic look to it. It's pretty I, I intense. The, it the, the the first and primary thing was make something that shows up while someone's scanning through Amazon. That was my primary thing. So that was from that came the color palette: black and bright green, huge type. And I found this uh, th this this art of 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 a Pieta, and I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool if Mary looked like she was looking up at something in the title, and I and I found um, the the antagonist in the book uh, worships the demon Moloch, and uh, somewhere in Google Images, it's not his real specific sigil, but but somebody listed this eye because the demon Moloch is a triclopian bull that has an eye in the middle of his head. Um, noted that this like horn slitted eye is kind of the eye of Moloch. So I had, I said, yeah, let, let's incorporate that into the, into the title and just make it very vivid and eye catching and have that little bit of interactivity between the, the text of the title and the, um, the Pieta. And I just thought that would, doesn't capture anything specifically like a scene in the book, but it sort of captures it thematically. You definitely get the vibe of it. And and it's 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 eye catching if you're just kind of scrolling through Amazon. That is good, but this is um, very interesting. Before we dive any deeper into the book, though, we don't want to lose the reader. So this is where we're going to pause for a moment, and we are going to shamelessly shill for the man. So so thank you, uh, Terry and, and JN Cheney, for uh, sponsoring this episode. Van. 
I know this is hard for you to accept or even believe. But you're not imagining this. You're not going crazy. Your grandfather believed right down to the core of his being in protecting those who couldn't protect themselves. You expect me to believe that my grandfather was a star-faring soldier? I can prove it to you. And how are you going to do that? By taking you for a flight. Whenever you're ready, Van. So thank you for sticking with us through that commercial interlude, but uh, I'll stop talking now because it's Doc's turn. Wow, that was great. Yeah, I know, Chaney, that, that was amazing. I'm kind of jealous. Uh, that was amazing. Designer, so, so when are you going to make one of those for Bloody, uh, Body and Blood? I actually have a book trailer. Um, it, it, it cobbled together with, you know, uh, commercial free uh, stuff I could find for free, but I managed to make it work. I thought it was pretty good. I, uh, it's over at the... Um, uh, website seven sorrowsbooks.wordpress.com. Uh, if you go to the media page, you can uh, you can check out the book trailer. We will have to uh, get with that and throw that in the rotation as potential sponsorship episodes. But sure. in the meantime, we're not here to talk about commercials. Uh, other than drooling, now that we're done drooling, we'll wipe it up. And uh, Doc gets to ask you the most important question. So, all right, what would your thirty second elevator pitch for this book be? My thirty second elevator pitch for this book would be. Um, God, I really should have thought of this by now. Um, it's it's a it's a uh, really sort of a, a dense, action-packed cyber noir-toned, um, almost buddy cop comedy. Honestly, that sounds like a mess. I know, but uh, it. You've got this, this uh, mystery of the, the this this gang that's tagging the the doors of churches and temples around town. There's a, they're they're breaking into places trying to steal things that are related to uh, religious ritual, and um, the the two priest main protagonists in the book who managed to fight off the the burglars discover that they've got these. Um, otherworldly traits to them. They, they have this, this monstrous look to them. They have superhuman strength. They barely manage to fight them off. And they discover, of course, that, that the gang that these thugs belong to happened to be uh, under the thrall of a shadowy figure called the Blind Witch, who has made her 
a base of operations in a local housing project. And um, shortly after that, they discovered that, that uh, children in the parish are getting kidnapped. Uh, the gang makes the mistake. It's when the gang makes the mistake of kidnapping the newborn child of the local Russian outfit associate that they sort of join forces and uh, uh, take the fight to the, the uh, gang to try to break this up. And they discover that they're actually in a lot more trouble than they thought they were in. I thought you were going to say they took Liam Neeson's kid, but that's cool too. Not, I'm, I'm now just not not that creative of a writer, I guess. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I like it better. Leave Liam Neeson out of it. He has he, a very he can play really films. cool people on TV, but he's not really that. Leave him out of it. Oh, ruin all oh. that. All right. Go be responsible and ask the questions as we scripted it. I will. <laughs> so what is it that you think really makes this stand out in the world of, it almost sounds like horror and kind of. There, uh, there, so is it? there is a lot of horror. There's especially body horror. Um, I, one of the things that, that makes it stand out is I've never read anything like it. Um, a lot of people who have read my books and who have read actually Declan Finn's St. Tommy books have told me that like, Hey, you should check out this guy, Declan Finn, because thematically there's actually a lot of overlap. Uh, if you set mine 20 minutes into the future from like Declan's world, uh, you could see where there, there, there might be some crossover potential if he ever introduced like, like some kind of a time rift. Um, it's, it's, so you've got this buddy cop aspect with these two priests that are trying to figure out what's going on. One's kind of a veteran old, old hard drinking Irishman. Uh, the other is an African former pit fighter before he reformed. Uh, and they've got this great, like, you know, Eddie Murphy and Nick Nolte, uh, dynamic in, in 48 hours. And, uh, so you've got this, but, but you've also got, um, the, the depictions of, of evil in the book are are unflinching and unsparing. So when this gang comes under the, the, the thrall of this, this uh, uh, bruja is what they call her because the gang's mostly Hispanic, it's in a Hispanic neighborhood. Um, she, she, she initially rises to power because she's plying, she comes out of nowhere and she's plying them with drugs and money and everybody's happy. And they kind of let her run the gang for a while. But shortly afterwards, she's demanding things like blood packs from them. And uh, you can kind of see how she starts to build her influence over this, this incredibly dangerous large group of people. And um, so, but, but like they engage in occult things. There are scenes of, of like child sacrifice uh, because the, the agents of the demonic are, vile and ugly and violent and the the only thing they want is to see the ruin of man and much in the same way that Declan's portrayals of of the demonic are also violent and unflinching and hate-filled um some of this can get really dark and brutal um but it's always tinged i think with enough like like just as things get really crushingly heavy you'll get some of like the buddy dynamic between the priests or some of the other folks in the neighborhood there's these these like great spikes of humor that are peppered throughout the plot to kind of ease the tension and make you not just feel like you need to scrub yourself with brillo after you read it 
and so yeah, there, there's really horrible things like transformations. Uh, there's body horror. When fight scenes happen, they are incredibly violent because we're, we're we've got laser fire that like makes people's limbs explode and stuff like that. And so it's 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 up there. It's intense, but but I I think it's measured at the same time. So when um. Sorry, what tropes do you think you really took and played with? I mean, you sound like you used the buddy cop trope. Mm -hmm. Um, Definitely that uh, horror is scary and demons Mm -hmm. are bad, which, I mean, those are good tropes to use. Do you you think there's anything you kind of twisted and went, oh, I'm going to take this and turn it? Um, Probably the biggest thing that I twisted was, um, I don't know, you guys can tell me if I'm wrong here because maybe I just haven't read it as much as, as maybe you guys have. Um, for the subgenre of, of cyberpunk, to, to explore the sort of spiritual aspect of people's lives. Because there's also, at the same time that all this stuff is happening, the priests are carrying out their regular duties, helping their, their, their neighborhood and the parishioners. They're celebrating mass. So I think you are the only one, even when I played cyberpunk, I don't think I ever saw like a priest class. Right. Cyberpunk role playing. So I do think that's actually super exploring the difference, a a different aspect of what can be in that world. Yeah. So I didn't really see a lot of that in the subgenre of cyberpunk science fiction at large. Yes. There's tons of it. Um, And also just sort of, um, having an unabashedly unalloyed good hero protagonist in a cyberpunk genre who's just like from the start they're human they're flawed you know there's lot that like i said one of them is a drinker and the other one had a violent past but there's never any moments where they have a crisis of faith or they doubt their mission they're just they're they're there to fight the good fight and I don't think I ever saw a whole lot of that in in the subgenre of cyberpunk. It's 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 a it's a lot of kind of gray, which is what I didn't like about Martin's treatment of of the fantasy genre. I think that's just kind of what ruined it for me. Um, so I think those are probably the two most prominent changes that I've I've, I've made. Okay, that definitely uh, makes it stand out. So that's a solid answer. So which you mentioned what tropes you use, and you mentioned that it's the um, cyberpunk, but what other subgenres do you think, or genres do you think this fits into? Oh God, man, probably like half a dozen of them. So there, there's a healthy dose of comedy in this, uh, because, um, you know, I wanted it to be enjoyable and, and it, it not to be total, absolute straight horror and brutal action. Uh, it's stuffed with action. Some, one of the most, one of the most persistent critiques of the book that I've gotten is that the the actions may be a little too nonstop. Um, it's a very fast paced. Uh, there, there's absolutely horror. Uh, I mean, it, it's um. There, there's uh, actual demons. There's people who are demon possessed because uh, there's scenes where the priests conduct exorcisms. Um, so there, there's probably yeah. There's like a little bit of comedy. There's a lot of action. There's a lot of horror. It's set in an unquestionably cyberpunk setting. You've got futuristic aspects of it. Um, <clears throat> so it, 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 one of the things I'm really afraid of when I go on podcasts and I talk about this, I feel like this just sounds like a mess. And like somebody might say, well, 
no, nah, that's a little bit too much for me. But but I, I really think this all just kind of somehow I get the puzzle to fit together well. Uh, so it was really tough putting this on Amazon and, and like I could only pick two things to list it as. <laughs> that's fair. But, uh, yeah. So it's probably like those like four genres. <laughs> Doc doesn't even like the question because she doesn't think that genre is real. I think genre is real. Genre is absolutely think- real. The obsession with subgenres is a bit ridiculous. I might agree with that, yeah. It, it is it is a good thing and it is important and it definitely helps you with niching things, but I really only think subgenres are the product of a couple of things. Amazon marketing, which is kind of the same thing, mm-hmm. and OCDness. You know, it's funny you mentioned that. I was, I was just scrolling through my Twitter feed tonight and somebody put up one of this massive meme of a political compass, you know, there's like four squares yeah. where it says like left, right, authoritarian, libertarian. And it's just filled with Wojaks that are different kinds of, of genres that end in punk. There's like 40 of them. And it's like, depending on oh. your political compass, these are the ones that you like over here. And some of the people it, will just hang punk on the like- end of anything and, and make it virtually meaningless. Yeah, I think some of it also is everybody wants a special trophy. Absolutely. Cat Rambo uh, says that, um, I don't know if you know who Cat Rambo is. I do. Uh, okay. Yes. Cat Rambo says she writes Hope Punk, and I've never heard that in my life. Hope and hope and Punk are virtually like two opposing things. Um, so I, I haven't read a whole lot of her work. I don't know what that what Hope Punk looks like, and I don't want to know anybody else who's who's ever written it, but there you go. Here, that, that's like my, my thing. And that would be my total, like if she came up to me and she was like, I'm like, that's not a genre unless you get, it's not a sub genre unless you can get a certain number of people, I think actually doing it. If you're the only person, you're not. Right. Not a sub genre. You're just <laughs> a flower, a special flower. Genres Genres useful, major subgenres are useful. Anything more fractured than that, just throw it away. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Doc. I like this guy. We can keep him. Yeah, I was gonna say it's the uh, oh, I agree with Doc Hour, so whew. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Some sometimes we just find things to argue about because people seem to find our bickering entertaining. Um our bickering is entertaining, especially because you're always wrong. Sure. And, uh, and and we're totally just doing it for the show. We're not like this in real life. No. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the story itself. You told us a little bit about it, but uh, about the two priests that are the main characters. But what do you think makes them unique in the crowded field of science fiction? Because I certainly definitely seen preachers as characters. I see, mm-hmm. you know, former boxers, redemption story arcs are common. So what mm-hmm. is it you think makes your um, characters unique? Um, uh, well, you do have, you do have the personal dynamic, which I think is just entertaining to re- read and have them interact. And I think that their their dialogue, uh, Father James Keenan is kind of the older uh, priest, and Akona Nwoso is the younger priest, and um, they they just really interplay really well. And I think that that in and of itself is entertaining. But um, there's also sort of so, so the more of a fantasy aspect of this, it's slightly more of the fantasy end of science fiction because 
don't know if you guys agree agree with with the statement that science fiction is fantasy. I will I've heard it said. Um, is is okay? So the world being cyberpunk is 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 has a lot of moral decay. Um, society is is kind of just stumbling around looking for an answer, and um, so as such, uh, God has extended a special grace to the church in the form of a new rite of exorcism mm -hmm. that has been developed called the rite of severe exorcism, which doesn't exist. Because in times like this, um, th these are the kind of things like drug use, dabbling in the occult, that kind of thing. That that according to, according to church teaching, I should specify, um, make a person spiritually vulnerable to demonic influence and attack, and and ultimately possession. So you're in this world. Naturally, you're going to see a much higher rate of. Uh, rate of cases of demonic possession than you currently have where it's extremely rare. And so this new right has been developed to sort of quickly um, uh, exercise the demons. And it's almost kind of like spiritual Kung Fu. But along with this, the priests have developed other uh, theurgic abilities, uh, mystical theurgic abilities um, that are, that are offensive and defensive, which you see in the um, book where they can, sort of shield themselves. Uh, they can kind of fire bolts of holy energy out of their fists. Um, and there's there, there's um, conditions that have to be met. You know, they have to be in a state of grace, obviously. But so you sort of ha have this world where like, you know, where a couple of old priests going to a gang war with a bunch of Russian mob guys? Well, it's because they can tear stuff up, you know? Um, so there's there's that aspect of it too, which is just kind of fun. So we asked Declan this for the same reason. Have you gotten any um, response at all from the Catholic Church since you wrote this sort of Catholic fiction, if you were? I I, I haven't told anybody connected with the church, and even though this book is actually the the character of Father James Keenan. Uh, is actually very closely modeled both in look and personality to a priest that was very um, dear to me in my own life. And the book is dedicated to, to Monsignor Joseph. Um, he was uh, he, he was a, he was a hero to me and to a lot of other people, I'm sure. Um, but I didn't like tell my church like, hey, I wrote a book because it is littered with explicit language and they probably <laughs> wouldn't like the violence. And uh, this is kind of like the world that the priests are in, but they don't succumb to the baseness of it, you know. Um, I haven't really told anybody anything. I don't think I, frankly, I, I, I'm not sure. Because at the same time that the Catholic Church has said that The Exorcist, with everything that that movie entails, um, was a good depiction of... How, how the process of the rite of exorcism is conducted. Um, and, and that movie's got blood-curdling scenes in it that, that, that still retain their power today. Um, you know, I certainly couldn't show this off to, like, uh, you know, a group of Protestant church ladies. Um, they bullshit <laughs> the That's not a pot shot at my Protestant bros. I just, Protestant Christian fiction and 
this. Oh, this no. Is, it's, it's like Earth and, and, and like whatever the next galaxy is, you know, it, it's um, it's ridiculously sanitized. But um, no, I haven't gotten it, but mostly because I haven't told anybody at church. I'm not ready for that yet. Should a copy of this ever wind up on my pastor's door, I will be praying to God. <laughs> he can see I the good. I think already be doing that, though. I, I, well, I mean, like, for that specific. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I yes, understand. I, <laughs> I'm just teasing. Uh, so um, as an act of contrition, she even had the echo effect added for you just to make it, you know, create that ambiance. But um, <laughs> you you talked about the um, the main characters. Were there any secondary characters? Well, first off, before I ask that, is it would you be fair to say that the, re the relationship dynamic between the two main characters is almost a character of itself? Yes. The way you wrote it? Yeah. Okay. I was um, getting that vibe, so I just wanted to see if you thought that was true as well. A lot of the people who have beta read this and who, who have read review copies have told me that they really love the companion dynamic between the two. And I've done everything I could to to make it um, uh, as as uh, tight and as close-knit as I could so that their actions really have impact as you make your way through the book. Okay. All right, so speaking of uh, characters and impact, are there any secondary characters that really stood out to you? The, uh, I actually had a blast with this. Uh, there's a ton of secondary uh, characters. So uh, let me see if I can just go through this really quick. <laughs> the gang that they find themselves at odds with, uh, there is kind of like like a captain figure named Oho, uh, who, who is covered with tattoos and is given that name because he has like kind of an Illuminati eye in the middle of his forehead that supernaturally allows him to aim his guns nearly without looking. And uh, his uh, his first interaction with these priests is like in this cramped, crowded corridor where he's he's got him dead to rights and he tries shooting them and he doesn't know they have sort of like the shield around them. And he's driven absolutely insane as to why he couldn't shoot these priests and it, it, it just kind of drives him through the entire book. Uh, he, he, he was a great character. There's a ton of depth to him. Um, the, the, there's the Russian mob outfit guy who, who's kind of like a little bit of a comic relief character, but he's also a, a stone cold, cold blooded murderer who runs his mother-in-law's tea house. Also, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, there, there's the, there's a biker gang that gets involved called the Widowmakers, and, uh, the, the leader, a guy named Rodrigo, Hot Rod, uh, he, he's actually quite a character. He's the main character in the next book I'm writing. And um, there's other priests that join the cause that have their own personalities. And uh, th there's also an assassin called the Blender who gets hired by the gang to kill the priests. When he finds out that the gang kidnapped his estranged daughter, he turns coat and joins the priest's side. He has the ability to sort of make himself not be seen, not turn invisible, but just kind of make people not notice him. And I just tried writing the blandest individual I possibly could. He's this like white middle-aged dad with a tan members only windbreaker. He doesn't look menacing at all. He's absolutely not who you would think this guy was. Um, and, and he's one of the most in-demand contract killers in the entire city. So, um, and then there's, there's of course, uh, Daphne, who is a waitress at a local diner that Oho likes to go to, who 
is the only person in the book that he treats with love and respect and just gushes over how much that he just loves when he waits on his tables and he overtips her and he 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 never acts out when she's around and he's unerringly sweet to her. So th- there's there's a lot of supporting characters. Again, uh, another consistent critique I've gotten is the action might be a little bit too high tempo at points. There's also a, a lot of supporting characters, but I've also been told that they're all very unique and they have their own voice and they're distinctive. In fact, a lot of people wanted to get to know those characters more when they read about them. So uh, they're all interesting in their own different ways. I feel like I just got called out for my, for my windbreaker choice. <laughs> hey, um, it's a classic, man. Don't be afraid. JR. They're going to be rocking those like retro Yeezys in two years. That's right. They're going to bring the parachute pants back and the mullet, and I'm going to be in style again. And it's all going to make no, sense again. That's right. we're not doing diet 80s. Then who will be <laughs> laughing? Uh, I'll get the last laugh, Doc. But ask the next question so I don't embarrass myself any further. Okay. So you've kind of talked a bit about um, the bad guys, but can you give us any more information um, about them without giving any spoilers away? Um, well, the, the, uh, the witch, the blind witch, La Bruja Ciega, as, as the gang calls her, um, can't give away too much, but she, she's, uh, one of the most, I think, striking moments in the book is, um, when Akono makes something of a foolhardy decision to try to go, go to her housing project and tries to parlay because, how the whole inciting incident happened was the priests eventually find out that the thugs that tried to rob their church, um, what they're really, really after, like one of the top dollar things, because the, the gang's paying people to rob, to, to bring them stuff that they rob from the churches. So every gutter snipe in the city is like jimmying open the, the, the door on the local church, trying to grab anything, chalices, pamphlets, scapulars, any, making the, get their hands on, but the top dollar thing is consecrated Eucharistic wafers uh, because the gang wants to use them uh, for ritual desecration on this sort of once-in-a-lifetime feast day for a demon. And that's why they're kidnapping people. They're going to have this massive orgy um, and just, you know, th- this absolute back and all. And, and, and at, at, at the center of these morbid festivities is going to be this big ritual desecration of, of a consecrated Eucharistic wafer, which are um, incredibly sacred to, to the Catholic faith. They find out that the thugs who broke in in the inciting incident of the book were let into the church by one of their altar boys, who they know. And they're actually really disappointed in this kid, but he, he's kind of how, how these guys got in in the first place. So to try to protect the kid, uh, Father Okono makes a foolhardy decision to, to go to the projects and kind of wave the white flag and say, look, I want to parlay. Just, just get off our altar boys back here. He didn't have anything to do with this. And he finds that, that this woman who, who's, who's leading the most vicious gang in the city looks like some 50-something grandmother you'd find at a Miami bingo hall. She's got, like, you know, Capri pants, so, uh, the dark sunglasses. Any more spoilers? Because I, I don't know. We might have given out, out some. Um, can you tell us what it would be like if your characters found you in a bar- back alley? Sounds like 
if it was the priest, you'd be fine. I, I was going to say it depends on the characters. If the priest, I'd be fine. If it was a lot of other people, I'd be dead meat. Now, you might get a lecture from the priest, though. Uh, yeah. Depending yeah. on what I was doing in the back alley, I guess. <laughs> you might get a few uh, Marys and be forgiven. You, you, my son, we need to have a talk. Yeah, right. <laughs> about what goes through your head. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, do you have a favorite archetype? Um, I, um, the, the, you know, the redeemed hero or the reluctant hero, um, somebody with a past who's overcome it and, and now walks the path of light. I'm a suck. I am a sucker for that. I'm a sucker for the, the, the roguish hero, like the private detective of like Raymond Chandler's novels, you know? Um, Raymond Chandler once That's why you like so much cyberpunk Yeah, uh, Chandler once wrote And I just thought this encapsulated it perfectly um, he, he was talking to his own he, he was speaking to his own characters But he, he described it as Down these streets must walk a man Who is not himself mean And, and that, that's it It's like that light that's, that's willing to stand In the middle of all that darkness And uh, ju just be, ha Have the will to oppose it um, I'm, I'm just, you know, I, I just love a good guy or, or, or hero or heroine. I mean, it, it's not, it's not like, no, guy, I, I um, think of guy as being gender neutral. I think of guys being unisex. Yeah. A lot of feminists would disagree with me, but no, um, I don't always get along with the, my fellow feminists. So that's okay. Most yeah. Um, really if they've had, had a past, they've had to overcome which is why I love Ellen Ripley is one of my favorite heroines um ever um and and just who who's had to struggle who's had to go through a lot and or or like you know the the han solo type the guy who could have gone either way and is actually maybe more suited towards the dark but makes the decision to say no you know i'm not going to be a scumbag that that i'm a sucker for too absolutely um i love a redemption story i love a good rocky training montage seeing him struggle uh, that is, you have got me hooked if you can pull that off. Well, I think it sounds like your book definitely it pulled off several of those. Thank you. And um, JR. I was just waiting to see if you were going to keep going. I was just giving you room. I mean, I didn't want to, uh, didn't want to overstep. I didn't know if you'd fallen asleep. No, I mean, you know, I got, I got the notos. I'm good. I'm good. Good. Because falling asleep on yeah. the podcast is my job. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> okay. So what is it you, you've talked about that you love? And this is a little bit off script. So doc, bear with me, but you've talked about why that you love a good redemption arc in a, you know, second chance hero sort of thing. Yeah. What is it about those stories that draws you in? Um, you know, I, I think who, who can identify with wanting a second chance? with getting it and and wanting to make the most of it you know everybody has felt that wants that um i think one of the worst travesties in at least the television uh production of game of thrones because i i i don't know if the storyline was parallel to the books because i didn't read them all was was what they did to jamie lannister um you know it's like 
he he was maybe more than any other character on that show the one that looked like he was about to take a genuine arc towards be, be, being like an actual hero figure and of course he just went back to to getting it on with Cersei when he came back to King's Landing. I mean, I was so... That was basically my point where I just turned the, the show off and just washed my hands of the whole thing. I I, I, I hung with it, but man, when they ruined him, because I, I had put the most emotional investment in that. Um, That's the problem. J.R. Martin doesn't want you to get emotionally invested. Oh, he, God, it's, man. It's like gaslighting. He abuses you. As soon as you like it, a character, he hurts it. It and, and and God, it's like if you keep watching that, it just becomes masochistic after a while. It's like, what? Why would you stay? Uh, <clears throat> anyway, but yeah, I think that that's one of the most um, intensely relatable feelings, virtually universal to the human spirit, is that desire to make right some regret that you've had in your life, or to to um, you know, it fix, fix some part of your past and, and, and like maybe you can't fix all the damage, but you, you can make the right decision the second time around. Um, it's, it's, it's irresistible, I feel like. Yeah, so in many of the stories where the adventures take place in the universe, the, the universe is it's almost as much of a character as the antagonist and the protagonist. So what can you tell us about this sort of setting that you have? You said there's some uh, almost magic, although it's you know divinely inspired. You've mentioned some of the tech changes. So can you try to paint a little bit of a picture of the world where the story happens for us? Um, the world is, is uh, <clears throat> so it, it's a world where kind of, um, this is kind of inspired by the present where we've seen this sort of widening of the gap between the religious and the non-religious and more than like people who, who are religious and just like people who would call themselves atheists, you've got this kind of large gray swath in the middle of folks who are, I think Pew classifies them as nuns. They, they're uh, the, they don't ascribe to one thing or another, at least someone who, a sort sort of agnostics, but it's almost less than that, really. It's it's kind of the spiritual but not religious pap crowd okay. uh, um just sort of uh, nothing acts as kind of a as kind of a compass or cornerstone for anchoring morals or beliefs that will dictate your decisions and um, how, how, how you choose to live your life. Because that, that's one of the things, whether you think religion is, is, is harmful or hurtful, what it does is, is at the very least, it sets up um, societal uh, guardrails that determine behavior. And whether you think that's a good thing or not is up for debate, I guess, but at least it, it, it it's, it's some kind of a foundation. It's some kind of a concrete uh, thing with which to govern your actions and your outlook. And then you've kind of got, got, got this, increasingly you've got folks in the, the modern era who do, don't seem to at least not, not, not publicly ascribe to much in that regard. And so 
I just kind of said, well, what if this just kind of went on and on and on? What would what would society look like? And it it would um that that's kind of the the, the innocuous looking stew in which a, lo a lot of folks make themselves spiritually vulnerable because one of the things that that me and guys like Declan and and anyone who 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 takes spirituality or, or religion any kind of uh, seriously will tell you is that it's within human nature to worship. What that is um, can be God or it can be drugs or money or porn. Um, but but it's the, the human need, need to focus itself and to devote itself towards something is, is unconquerable. A lot of people don't realize that and, and, and don't realize that they're in the grip of, of something that could, could become an addiction or could become self-destructive, uh, usually until it's far too late. And those kinds of behaviors are the kind of things that make you uh, more susceptible to the demonic. Um, so you sort of, ha what would that look like? You've got this world where that, that's a lot of people. And, um, you know, as a response to that, at least in, in religious communities, you're seeing in ramp up in the efforts to combat this. And so you have priests now who, who, who can suddenly discover that they can do these extraordinary things and, that's kind of what what sets the power dynamic. I hope that made sense. Indeed, you are good. You're good. <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I I can tell which way is up, so we're good. So okay. uh, we've talked about the universe. So what about the tech? What can we expect from the tech and the magic in this world? Uh, the tech, you know, um, it's it's the the tech doesn't play a huge part. Uh, there's Laser blasters are probably the most prominent. Uh, you know, a lot of the um, more wince-inducing um, injuries in the book happen when when people get hit by laser fire because I just imagine those things just boiling flesh and so quickly that it makes them basically explode. Um, uh, the the priests have had the souped-up car gifted to them by a reformed. Uh, car thief which is tricked out with all this armor plating and and it's it's painted black and white and the kids call it the dope mobile and it's got like you know a, a racks of laser guns in the back and all that stuff and it's stuff for extreme unction and exorcisms and stuff like that um there's but but it's funny it, it's one of the things that people really loved about like the futuristic cyberpunk tech stuff um was uh, there's a synthetic food that exists called bacon, B-A-Q-O-N. And it's um, synthetic air-activated self-frying strips of bacon. So you just, you, you tear open the package, you throw the strip on a plate, and it fries itself. More people talked about that <laughs> than any of the other, like, cyberpunk aspects of, of, of anything I, I going on. I kind of feelings about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, uh, actually, Kursova actually, I think, pr probably rightly described the cyberpunk elements as almost blink and you miss it because it's 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 funny when I started thinking about like this is the future, you know, go nuts with 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 the tech and all this cool stuff. But then I thought like about like 20 years ago, 
basically all we've got is smartphones and better internet now. And, and like in 10 years, the smartphones have barely changed. So it's like, you know, may, maybe we won't be as advanced as we like to think that we are. 50 years ago, we were like, oh, man, we're going to have jetpacks in 2020. And no, <laughs> nobody's got jetpacks. So, so, you know, you keep mentioning exorcism. I got to ask, how common pervasive is it? Like, is this a series when everybody knows that priests can do this? magic stuff or is it still very like the paranormal the the greater than normal no whether it's, it's spiritual it, or whatever is that on the dl or no, the not? book makes it very clear that this is extremely common now okay uh, is and and what what's kind of like one of the more depressing paradoxes that exist in the book i guess is that people know these priests can can do this and that they're battling with demons, but they kind of just turn around and, and go back to doing whatever it is they were doing anyway before they got possessed, you know. Um, so, such is the, the the stubbornness of uh, human learning. Um, but no, it's very out in the open. It's a matter of, of do people choose, choose to believe it or not because believing in it also has a lot of other uncomfortable implications about how else they'd have to change their lives and do they want to do that or do they want to just kind of stay where they are so very much so so getting back into the tech if of all the tech you have or we'll let you use magic if you'd rather which one would you want to have in this day and age in real life definitely the bacon no um Like, like, what kind of tech in the book would I like to have now? Yeah. Oh, um. Like, if you could take it, like, maybe it is the bacon. That is, that's uh, one way to make breakfast every morning. The, the, the uh, priests wear Kevlar threaded uh, vestments mm -hmm. because it's, it's that high crime of the neighborhood. <clears throat> so I think that'd be pretty cool to have, like, regular looking clothes that's actually, like, bulletproof. So how would you use and abuse that in your oh, just, daily life? Just, just go up, start, start fucking with people. Go ahead, shoot me, stab me. Yeah, nah, you know. No, I, I could see that. I approve. <laughs> and then run. <laughs> Unless I've got like one of those. Because like, your face is not protected. Got it. <laughs> so uh, do you have any aliens in this universe? No. Okay. Aliens, anything like like a, space elements like that uh, never really kind of appeal to me in terms of science fiction. Uh, it, it's the rare space opera that will hold my attention. Um, but there's nothing like... Wait, um, you love space opera. You chose Star Wars. Of the options. Yes. And, 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 and OT because... God, it was so earnest and it was so creative. And even though Lucas was in control of the second three movies, it still can't hold a candle to the original. Um, it's that, that, that original three movies is just a gift to human storytelling that will never be replicated. And that's why I picked those Star Wars movies. But um, So do you have magical creatures in your, or fantastical creatures other than the demons? Uh, no, because once uh, we, we start going in there, I feel like then you're really starting to have to 
then I feel like you're kind of venturing into like urban fantasy. Okay. I wait a minute. I have to amend that. I have to amend that. Um, the book. So there's a location in the story where there's an abandoned hotel that was built on just a plot of land in the middle of a godforsaken swamp. No one knows why they chose to to build this hotel there, um, but it it's there. And there's all kinds of stories about the uh, the 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 creatures that live beneath the thick scum surrounding the waters uh, that that hides from the rays of the sun. So it's it, it's kind of alluded to, and I'm not going to say whether it really exists or not, but. There is at least a sort of a a, a reference to uh, the the possible exi existence of some kind of an eldritch horror that may or may not be lurking within the uh, okay the pond waters. There, there's one. So, do you ever manifest the demons like physically, or they just one of them does? It, it, okay. it uh, one of them so does in a very, very big way. Okay, don't tell me how. Right, right, right. What did you pull like from biology or scripture or old stories to create the physicality of that? <clears throat> the only rule I had was to make it as, as ugly and as menacing as possible while retaining just enough humanity to absolutely horrify you. With the sort of like, like there's just en enough humanness there that that just makes it really, really truly horrible. I think because there, there there's this j just this little bit of a resemblance there that this thing was or is close to human. Mm -hmm. um, that was kind of my my only rule, um, and and just just I. I would just write it and rewrite it and rewrite it and make it uglier every time and just make it as horrible as I possibly could because these, these, these things are, are supposed to be hell spawn. And um, I always love the writings of uh, Catherine of Siena who had um, visions of hell uh, would write in her diary that, that the human tongue could not tell you how horrible these things were. Um, so, so I just tried to do my best. <laughs> they're, they're supposed to be unspeakably horrifyingly ugly. and um, But just make it reminiscent enough of, of human to really just sort of amp that up and just make it unnerving. Okay, that was a good answer. And for the listeners who, who aren't used to this... Uh, we are, and intentionally so, a spoiler-free podcast because we want you to read the books because reading is fundamental, as we learned as kids. And if you haven't noticed uh, and, or you didn't catch what uh, what Doc was doing, Michael made the mistake most new authors do, and he gets so excited he wants to tell you everything. And then you have no reason to go check out the book from the from the library, buy <clears throat> it, read it. on. Is this on Kindle Unlimited? Um, yes, it is. It's free on Kindle Unlimited. And and I, I promise I did not spoil as much as you probably think I did. <laughs> well, well, that's just something we. No, thank you anyway. I appreciate for, you, so. you you keeping me at. at well, it, it is. It's one of those things. I love new authors coming on, bringing them on, but it is one of those things. Jr. and I and we won't shut up. <laughs> we, no, we try to make sure that you guys don't 
don't i love like new authors are wonderful we we don't we've had people come up to me and tell me oh i love the fact that you you actually let new authors on well you know new authors are authors and their only way for you to get better is for you to do this so and thank you i really appreciate this Plus, Doc has had lots of experience with panels because she's been doing that a lot longer than she's been doing podcasts with me. Okay. And, uh, and so we see a lot of, or she sees a lot of new authors basically telling you everything you need to know about the book so you never have to read the book. And that's obviously not the <laughs> ideal. So we're, no. we're overly cautious. But all right. So obviously, this is winding down. But uh, before we wrap this up, was there anything about body and blood that we didn't ask that you wanted to tell us before we move on? Uh, no, I thought you guys were very thorough and, and uh, did a great job. Is this going to be available in audiobook or is right now it's just paperback and ebook? Uh, no, right now it's just on Kindle and paperback, and it's probably going to stay that way. <laughs> um, I'd need to sell a lot of, lot of copies before I consider it even doing an audiobook, but right now it's in paperback and Kindle. Is Seven Sorrows your imprint personally, or is that a separate publisher for you? That is my imprint, yes. Okay. Um, so before we forgot, we, we normally like to ask this, actually – who am I kidding? We put it here at the end of the interview on purpose. But uh, what would the age range for this story be? You know, what would the, you know, for parents that are listening, like what would be it's, the earliest? It's listed on Amazon as 18 plus. Um, pr probably any high schooler would be fine with this. Um, there's no sex. Uh, that's one thing that there will never be in any of my books. Um, uh, there, There's, but there is a lot of, pretty brutal violence. Uh, there is explicit language throughout the book. Um, it, it's, it's contextual, so I feel like it's never quite gratuitous, even though there's a lot of it there, but there is a lot of it there. And there's a lot of violence. There's, there, there's, there's a lot of fight scenes. There's a lot of battles. The, um, the, the, the depictions of the, of, of the uh, demonic are really horrible. There, there's scenes of child sacrifice. So there's some stuff that could really trigger some people on a good reason. So I wouldn't give this to anybody who, who was probably a, um, not in high school yet, but it's listed on Amazon as 18 plus. Okay. Um, so before we let you go, dear listener, this is the part of the interview where I remind you to please be kind and speak your mind on the reviewing platforms. Your reviews help the right readers find the right books so do your part people uh speaking of that we will be having an episode if you if you caught us in the beginning uh where we will be talking about and diving into the world of book reviews uh it is in the works we are working on um herding cats i mean scheduling all the uh the guests that will speak on that <laughs> on that podcast so uh, as we wrap this up michael can you tell listeners how they can find you on the wild wild interwebs absolutely um you can find me um on twitter at missing byline uh and you can also, uh, if you go to the Seven Sorrows website, um, sevensorrows.wordpress.com, there's a contact page. Uh, you can shoot me an email through that if you want to as well. Okay, that sounds good. And you can find us on our Twitter at twitter.com backslash SF underscore fantasy underscore show, Sierra Foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show. You can email us at blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. Again, blastersandbladespodcast at gmail.com. I promise you, if you send the hate mail, Doc will answer you and tell you how wrong you are. She lives for those moments. So, you know, do your part, dear listener. Uh, you can also I find get special candy when I do that. Like I, I might send you some just to read the replies. <laughs> I've, actually, I've actually been known when authors be like, I don't feel like a real author. I didn't get in hate mail. 
I will literally send them stuff just to mess around. <laughs> like, this is your first official hate mail. You, you smell like elderberries. Um, so we have a Facebook group where all the shenanigans happen, which is facebook.com backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. Again, backslash groups backslash Blasters and Blades podcast. We are working on getting um, – um, I've hired an assistant. Otherwise, no – okay, never mind. Uh, we can't afford an assistant. But, but we are looking at what we have to do to port over everything from – uh, Anchor FM and um, YouTube to see if we can get on BitChute, Rumble, and some of the other uh, platforms where audience members might be. We sure. also have our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters dash and dash blades. Again, anchor.fm backslash blasters tack and tack blades. Uh, we will also be working on a proper website at blastersandblades.com. Uh, Doc has purchased the domain name. She's just got to find someone who can, you know, squiggle the zeros and ones together and make it look pretty. Um, I think that's how it works, right, Doc? JR, it's so cute when you think you talk smart. <laughs> All right, look, I, am, I, I, I know that if you invert the dilithium crystals, everything fixes itself. Oh, and, and uh, the magnetic polarities or something. I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen Star Trek. Um, don't just don't cross the streams. They are. Don't cross the streams. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we're on our website, anchor.fm backslash blasters, you can support the podcast for as little as 99 cents a month. You can help keep the lights on, or you can support the show more directly at buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley. Again, buymeacoffee.com backslash author J.R. Handley, where every, be sure to put in the comment section that is for the podcast. And I promise I will keep my co-host Doc Saska and Nick Garber, duly caffeinated they will drink until their liver explodes and they float away on a sea of caffeinated goodness more caffeine means i can stay awake for more episodes there you go all right i really appreciate this guys thank you so thank you for spending some of your precious time with us and for the absentee adult-brained nick garber and jr handley i'm seska this was the blasters and blaze podcast We'll be back next week. Same time, same place, same bad jokes. Love and our love of nerd culture, cheesy nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and of course, all things that go boom and pineapple on pizza. Such heresy will not stand. I Your love pineapple on pizza. Get over <laughs> it. Great, Michael. Where do you weigh in on this? Um, it is of the devil. All oh, right, you're you were almost perfection. You you have been told, Doc. No, 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 no. That's